Everybody who's tuned in, logged on, dropped by, thank you for being here. I want to invite you to open up your copy of the Word of God to Acts 20, Acts chapter 20. Uh, It is fitting on this World Missions Conference Sunday that we find Paul in Acts 20 on his third missionary journey. As here we find him addressing a group of elders, specifically the elders over the church at Ephesus, and Paul begins to speak to them about, of all things, the future. So today I want to speak to you on the subject, anticipate what God will do. We're going to look forward and anticipate what God will do. Now I know we just came through perhaps the most highly anticipated time of the year, Christmas, right? And uh, we've moved past Christmas and now we're into that time of year where people tend to be down in the dumps. The gloomy time after Christmas and New Year's and everybody's kind of bummed out and the bills are coming in for Christmas, and I mean, just down in the dumps, right? Just down in the dumps. And uh, you may be there today. You may be feeling gloomy and down and depressed, or you may be disappointed, or you may be in that state today. Well, I think this text will really encourage you because that is the state in which Paul finds these elders. We need to make the connection here that these elders were in a sad, sorrowful place. But Paul gave them something to look forward to. And I don't know what it is you may be looking forward to uh, in 2020. What is it now, since we moved past Christmas, that you're living in anticipation of? Are you just over the moon excited because tax season is coming? (laughs) Josh said he was very excited about tax season this morning. So y'all pray for him. It's another presidential election year is that something you're looking forward to I don't know which one's worse tax season or another presidential election I don't know but what is it is there something out there that you're looking forward to maybe it's a vacation maybe it's a birthday or anniversary or maybe a grandchild or child's going to be born this year maybe there's a wedding you're looking forward to or maybe there's there's got to be something out there that you're looking forward to Maybe if you're a a college student, middle school, high school students, where are students at? You know, right in this area. Yeah, there they are. Maybe you're looking forward to spring break. Anybody looking forward to spring break? Yeah, anybody just looking forward to spring period? Right, just anything to do with spring. At my house, it's summer, summer, summer time already at my house. When Christmas ends, the tree goes down, open up the pool, it's summertime. So we skip everything else. So yeah, there's got to be something you're looking forward to. So these elders in the church at Ephesus, you say, how do you know they're sorrowful and sad? Look at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 36, 37 in Acts 20. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. This is Paul praying with these elders. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him and being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And then read this last part. How sad is this? And they accompanied him to the ship. Kind of like just a, man, doesn't that just paint a picture of like a, almost just a death march to the ship, just sorrowful and sad and gloomy. And in the midst of their sadness, all Paul can focus on is the future. He spends the bulk of Acts 20, this section of Acts 20, talking about the future. 
And I want to show you that. So if you're at your place in Acts 20, 22, say word up. Look at verse 22. Here we go. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. That means he's compelled, he's bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The word for compelled or constrained here uh, means basically to confine a person by various kinds of restraints, to bind together, to imprison, I-M-P-R-I-S-O-N, imprison. It means to bind together, to, to constrain together. One transliteration says to be married. Isn't that a good view of marriage? That you're in marriage, I mean, according to this, you're just a person confined by various restraints in marriage. That's a great word for marriage. But that's what Paul is saying. I'm married to the Spirit. I'm bound to the Spirit. And the Spirit is telling me to go. I'm compelled to go, so I'm going to Jerusalem, compelled, constrained by the Spirit. Not knowing. Somebody say knowing. So get this. Paul is going without knowing what will happen to him. Uh, There, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Look around this room. See all these flags? These flags represent cities or countries and nations. And in those countries and nations are cities. And in those cities are people, right? So every city represented in this room today, the Holy Spirit is telling us when we go, we're going to have trouble, going to have affliction, going to have hardship. Paul says, verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 28, we see a picture of the Trinity there. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. What a beautiful picture. Verse 29, I now... I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Father, we pray for the reading, the hearing, the preaching, the responding to your word today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our takeaway for the day, look at the back of your worship guide, very top line. God dropped this truth into my heart. I pray he will deposit it into the bank of your heart today. It simply reads this way, God is up to something. Amen? God's up to something. In fact, I'd change it a little bit and say God is still up to something. Man, God's doing something. God knows what he's doing, and he's doing it. Our God is up to something. Well, I want to prove it to you. I don't want you to take my word for it. So I'm going to take these uh, verses here in Acts 20, 22 through 32, and point out eight different pieces of evidence, eight proofs 
that prove that God is up to something. Number one, going matters more than knowing. See, God is the one who knows, and we are the ones who go. Okay? Uh, God is all-knowing. We are not. You figured that out yet? (laughs) Now, I know you want to be. You want to know all things. You want to know what's going to happen. But guess what? That's God's business. That's not yours. Your business is obedience. You are to go. God knows. We go. Paul says, I'm going. Paul also says, not knowing what's going to happen. But I'm going anyway. And Paul says, I'm going. Paul doesn't say, I'm going. And he's, here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, I'll be back. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going and I won't be back. I'm not coming back. You're not going to see my face again. But I'm compelled by the Spirit to go. So I'm proceeding, I'm traveling, I'm journeying, I'm living, I'm moving from this area to another area. Behold, I'm going. See, God always calls people to go. He doesn't always call his people to come back. Now, I'm not suggesting that he calls everybody to go and then die physically. Sometimes he calls us to go and from that point calls us to go to another point, from that point to another point. Sometimes he calls us to a point and tells us to stay. But God always calls people to go. He doesn't always call them to come back. God told Abram to go. I want you to leave your household. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your father and your family. I want you to leave your father's household and go. He didn't say, Abram, I want you to go and come back. He didn't say the disciples in Matthew, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then come back. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I want you to go. God always causes people to go. He doesn't always call them to come back. We need to have the mindset and the attitude of Jesus who said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised to life. I'm going to ascend. I will come again and take you to be with me. But in this state now, I'm going and I'm not coming back in the state you know me. When I come back, I'm going to take you to be with me in heaven. Paul says, I'm going and I'm not coming back. James Calvert had that mindset, this young pioneer missionary who was one of the first ones to go, well, the first missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands. En route to the islands, the captain's ship tried to dissuade this young James Calvert to not go. He said, look, if you go among these savages, you will lose your life and the lives of all of those with you. James Calvert said, sir, calmly replied, sir, we died before we came. That's the attitude. When you're bought by the blood of Christ, you in turn are to die to yourself. Paul says, I don't count my, I don't count my, my life as valuable to me. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing in course. I'm running a race. I don't count it precious to myself. I belong to Christ. Right, to live as Christ, to die as what? Gain. Paul says, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to finish my course because I don't belong to me. I belong to him. And God God told him to go, and he said, I'm going to go. And all Paul's doing is following Jesus. Jesus told his disciples all the time, we're going up to Jerusalem. I'm going up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'm going to raise to life. (laughs) I'm going to be raised to life. But I'm going to Jerusalem. So Paul is just following suit. He's going to Jerusalem. Jesus calls all of us to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem. To be Jesus where God has you in your Jerusalem. 
The point is, you go, God knows. Paul is going without knowing what's going to happen. So you telling me, Pastor, I'm to go even though I don't know what's going to happen? Yes, you are to go. God has already pressed the go button in your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's already pressed go. You don't wait to go until you get on the plane where you're flying to this mission or that one. And you don't stop going when the plane lands back from this mission or that one. You go as soon as you trust Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells you. The go button has been pressed in your life. Uh, just before Christmas, I loaded up my family to go to Dollywood and had the little Maps app on my phone. And, I, you know, you put the address in and then there's a little green go button at the bottom. You press that go button and it gives you the route to go. And yes, I still use GPS. I am directionally challenged, and I'm unashamed of it, okay? I don't know where I'm going. Half my life, all my life, I don't know where I'm going. I still don't know where I'm going. So I like that little GPS. So I push go on that little device, and it tells me where to go. And so two mile, about two miles into our journey to Dollywood, we were stopped on Hamill Road. Can you guess by what? That train, and it was flying. It was going so fast. I've never seen it move that fast. I said, oh, we won't be here for just a second. Five minutes go by, and it's still going pretty fast. And another five minutes, it's not going as fast. Another five minutes, it really starts slowing down. And then it stops. You ever been there when it just stops? Just stops. And, I mean, it's feet away. I'm telling feet away from being past the point where we can go and then it starts backing up <laughs> you've seen it back up finally it gets it it's gone and we can pass over and the whole time I'm sitting there waiting on the train to pass this device is saying to me there's a delay ahead but you are still on the fastest route <laughs> you've, you've heard that thing say that to you you're still on the fastest route I'm thinking there's no nothing fast about this route so we get past that, we head to Dollywood, we get to Dollywood, and we've had season passes to Dollywood for the last several years, and Tanya's always wanted to ride the train at Dollywood. And we, I can't ever find the train at Dollywood. I go over here, it's over there. I go over there, it's over here. Why can't I find the train at Dollywood while the train in Chattanooga finds me all the time? Why is that? Seven years we've had season passes to Dollywood. We've yet to ride the train. So we look for, we find the train is full of people, loaded with people, no room for us. So we start walk, give up, start walking off, and then we're stopped again so the gates are let down so the train can pass. And people are on there laughing at you, I mean waving at us as they pass by. And so we don't ride the train. We go heading back home. It's 9.30 at night. Get to Hamill Road. Guess what? The train. I promise you, leaving, going to Dollywood and coming back, we got stopped by the train. Can't find the train at Dollywood. When God tells us to go, when, we, when he pushes that go button and he tells us to go, we go. Now, just because he tells us to go and we go doesn't mean there won't be delays. There very well may be delays. But God is the one who knows. We want to focus on knowing as we're going, that's not our job. Our job is to go and not know what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. We don't know. Only God knows. But our job is to go. How do we know God's still up to something? Because he's still calling people to go. He's still calling people to go. 
So we know he's up to something. Paul David Tripp said it like this. Since God created everything and controls everything, he knows things we don't. It would be wise then to listen and follow him. One Puritan pastor said, God knoweth what he is doing with you when you know not. So take confidence and comfort in the fact that as you're going, God is the one who knows, not you, not me. Number two. How do we know God's up to something? Well, our help comes from the helper. So your help, my help, our help comes from the helper. Paul is told in verse 23 that whatever city he goes to, he's going to face affliction and trouble. Now, what I find fascinating about this verse 22 and 23, if you'll notice, it's the Holy Spirit that is the driving force. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the one that is calling Paul to go, that is compelling Paul to go, that is constraining Paul to go. He's the one. He's the driving force in Paul's going, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit is the source revealing to Paul that he's going to face trouble. That's who our God is. God doesn't lie to us. He doesn't tell a man, if you go, you're going to have the best time of your life. I'm telling you, if you go, it's going to be rose petals. It's going to be fun. It's going to be easy. He doesn't tell us that. He says, I'm compelling you to go, and oh, by the way, it's going to be really hard it's going to be very tough. There's going to be afflictions and hardships at every place you set your foot. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is with us the whole time. Like, He helps us. He is our helper. And Paul knew that. Paul lived that. He breathed that. He knew that. And even still, he's compelled to go. And every city we serve in, and we serve in a lot of cities. Here's some of the cities we serve on mission and ministry. Uh, Chattanooga, Red Bank, Signal Mountain, Hicks, and all the surroundings, Saudi, Saudi, Daisy, all the surrounding areas, Miami, Boise, Salmon, St. Louis, uh, Collinsville, Troy, Uganda, Africa, Bengante, uh, Douala, Cameroon, San Pedro Sula, and other villages in Honduras, Southeast Asia, Mandalay, and Yangon, and Pathane, and Myanmar, and there's a red bank in Southeast Asia. There's a red bank in Belize as well. And in all these cities, we serve God is saying you're going to have trouble and you're going to face hardship. You know why that is? Because I've got news for you. Every city is a sinful, broken city. You know that? Paul says it this way, that except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Why? Because every city is broken. Every city is full of broken people. There's only one holy city, and it's not where the Vatican is. The one holy city is the new Jerusalem that's going to come down out of heaven from God. And until that city comes, we are going to be faced with brokenness in our world and in our cities. And with people in your life. Until Christ comes again, we will not see a sinless, unbroken city. But all the while when we go, our help is the Holy Spirit. Number three, how do we know that God is up to something? Number three, you have a race to run. You have a race to run. Can you believe that? That God created you, He saved you, and then He gave you an assignment. He gave you a race that you were to run. Paul doesn't say here, if you'll look at it with me in 24, Paul doesn't say, hey, I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself only. I may finish your course. 
He doesn't look at these elders and say, hey, guys, I'm running your race. Paul says, I'm running my race. Paul isn't running Peter's race. Peter isn't running Paul's race. Timothy isn't running Paul's race. And Paul isn't running Timothy's race. Paul is running Paul's race. Sam is to run Sam's race. You are to run your race. Now, I know when we think about racing, we're very competitive. Any competitive folks in the room? Anybody competitive? Husbands, wives, y'all competitive? Yeah, I got some. Yeah, when we think of a race, we think compete, compete, compete. But in God's economy, the whole idea is to complete it. Not to compete in it, but to complete the race that is set before us. But you're here today, and you look at your course, and you don't like it. The hill of heartache is too high. Man, you're going through some junk right now, and your heart is hurting so bad. And that hill of heartache is too high to run. Paul says, hey, I'm going to finish my course. Paul's saying, hey, you run your race you say, wait a minute, you don't understand this, this trail of, of treatments that I have to go on for this, this disease that I have. Man, it's, it's just, it's, it's too great. This obstacle is too much. This course is too tough. Hey, you run your course. God doesn't want us to reroute the course. He doesn't want us to redesign the course. He's designed it. He's laid it out. You run your race. You run the course laid out for you. Paul says, look, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. And all he's doing is following Jesus who sat on the cross when his race was done. The Lord Jesus says, it is finished. That redemption, the work of redemption is done done that Jesus who is worthy has defeated sin death in the grave he went to our grave your grave my grave after dying your death and my death and he rose victorious and he is worthy and he's given us a race that we are to run so run your race be like the tattoo artist who gave this advice to this customer in this video first tattoo yeah Relax, amigo. It's going to look okay. Only okay? No worries, boss. I'm one of the tattoo artists in the city. You mean one of the best tattoo artists in the city, right? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, aren't you supposed to draw it first? Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane, bro. Run your race. You don't run my race. I'm not to run your race. Run your race. Number four, how do we know that God's still up to something? Well, Paul says it in verse 24 like, like this. Notice what he says, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, there are more gospel conversations to be had. We're not finished, folks. The Great Commission has not been fulfilled. It's not been accomplished. There's more gospel conversations to be had. And listen, the Great Commission will never happen unless gospel conversations are happening. The gospel will not be heard by all unless gospel conversations are being had by y'all. It's just not going to happen. God's purpose, His ministry for you and for me, whatever it is, it includes testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Opening our mouths and having a conversation with people, explaining to them the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. 
What's so good about that news? See, in this world, we have bad news and fake news, but the gospel is good news. It's good news of this substitutionary death that Jesus died in our place so we wouldn't have to, who was buried, who rose on the third day to give anyone life who believes in him. This is good news. And it's the gospel of grace. This is not something we earn or we deserve or, 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 or we've paid our dues and so that's going to be paid to us. Absolutely not. This is a free gift of grace, unmerited, undeserved favor of God that he lavishes upon us. It's the gospel of grace. It's the good news of grace. It's not the good news of works because that's not good news. It's not the good news of justice because that's not good news. It's the good news of grace. And whose grace? God's grace. Not just a grace period. And sure, we are in the age of grace that God desires no one to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the message of the gospel is God offers us grace, period. Grace, period. And there's more conversations to be had. David Platt said it this way, God has not redeemed you to dwell in a Christian bubble. He has redeemed you to spread the Christian gospel. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's created us to do. So you need to decide what your goal is going to be for gospel conversations this year. Your individual goal, the goal of your family, the goal of your life group, the goal of your small accountability group. What is going to be your goal for gospel conversations this year? As a church, our goal is 2020 gospel conversations how do we know God's still up to something because conversations are still being had about the gospel that's how number five how do we know God's still up to something God's message outlast his messengers Paul says you're never going to see my face again and then he says but I have given you the whole counsel of God and guess what we're reading it today so God's message outlasted God's messengers Paul God's message always outlasts his messengers. In other words, I pray that you will not pledge allegiance to a personality, to a communicator. I pray that you'll not pledge allegiance to one of God's messengers. I pray that you'll pledge allegiance to the message of God, the person of God, the Lord Jesus himself, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the word that can deliver us from our sin and give us hope and a future. I pray that you will pledge allegiance to God's message and not his messengers. Paul said it this way in verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of among you I have gone proclaiming about the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, hey, God's message is more important than me. So don't focus on me. Focus on God's message and so if you're gonna get into if you're gonna know what God is up to then you need to get into what God is into you need to fall in love with the word of God that's my prayer for our for our church to fall in love with the word of God Bible engagement is an important word the, the number one need in our churches in America is Bible engagement people engaging the Bible and that just doesn't mean reading it that means memorizing it, meditating on it, uh, journaling through it. Man, get into the Word. Pick up a journal through the Word, a great tool, and it's only a tool. That's all it is. Our textbook is the Bible. Okay, this is just a tool to help you dive into the Word. Five days a week, 20 minutes a day. That's less than 1% of your allotted time for the whole week. Is that worth it to you? 
to, to sacrifice less than 1% of your time to change 100% of your life? Man, get into what God is into, and that is the Word of God. Hey, church, God's still up to something. Amen? We know that because His message outlasts His messengers. Number six, how do we know God's still up to something? God cares about you caring for the church. How many of you know God cares about you? You know that? God, I hope you do. How many of you know God cares about you caring for the church? Yes, we're called, hey, we're better together. We're called to be one another folk, right? We're to care for each other. That's what I love about this church. Our church family just cares for each other. When you hear somebody's in need, you just step up. I hear testimonies all the time about how you step up and help people who are in need. Paul says it this way in verse 20. 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul says, hey, God cares about you caring for one another. Care for one another. Tanya had a great opportunity the other night to participate in like a meal train for one of our church families going through a rough time. Her and some other folks took some meals, and so Tanya's night came up to take a meal, so we took a meal, or she took a meal over there. And when she did that, she was blessed to see that at this church member's house, they had a box with some bottled water and some snacks and a, and a, a sign there that said, hey, to all delivery drivers, UPS or FedEx or whomever, I know this is a busy time of year, so please feel free to take a snack. This is for you. Help yourself kind of thing. Have you seen those videos where delivery drivers get all excited about having a snack there when they deliver a package? Anybody? Is that just me? Nobody else seen those? Hey, they're out there. I promise you. They're out there. So Tanya came back home, and she was all, she was so excited. She said, wow, th- that was a great idea. She, she said, I think we need to do that at our house. And I looked at her, and I said, Tanya. There's not enough bottled water and snacks in the whole city of Chattanooga to, 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 to be enough to, to give one snack to all the drivers that come to our house in a given week. There's no way. Like the drivers that come to our house, like our house is their route. Like I said, if we're going to provide, they're here so much, we need to give them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, not just a snack. They're here all the time. Well, she, she didn't like that too much. That didn't go over too well. I probably should have just, you know, now that I think about it, I probably should have just thought that and not said it. That would have probably been better for me. But I love her heart. Her heart is, hey, let's, let's care, man. Let's, let's care for people. If we're going to care for strangers, how much more should we care for the church that has been bought with the blood of Christ? I'm so excited and blessed to be a part of a church that cares for one another. This is how we know God is up to something. Because you care for each other. Left to our own devices, we wouldn't care for each other. The Holy Spirit empowers us to care for one another. Number seven, how do we know God's up to something? Well, Paul says it like this in verse 29, 30, and 31. Look at this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. I I love how Paul talks about his... His, uh, his leaving. He says departure. In 2 Timothy, talking about his, his death, he uses the word departure. 
I love that. It's, it's like, hey, I, I'm, I'm dying, sure, but I'm departing because there's a destination I'm going to end up in. Amen? <laughs> I'm going to heaven. I'm going to glory. So, yeah, I'm departing, but there's a destination. And so Paul says, hey, I'm, after my departure, these fierce wolves are going to come in. There's going to be some men rise up among yourselves that are going to be twisting things around and teaching what is false to be true and what is true to be false. And So you've got to pay attention. You've got to be alert. You've got to be careful. In other words, Paul's saying there needs to be some accountability, some personal and mutual accountability among the body of Christ. You need to call out any errors in teaching from, that way, stray away from the truth. You need to call out any arrogance or any abuse or anything that is done to harm or hurt the body of Christ. You need to hold one another accountable because these fierce wolves are going to come not sparing the flock. So be on guard, be alert. And what a timely word for this church. Because this church in Paul's day, on this day, was a healthy church in Ephesus. But just 30 to 35 years later, this is what was said of this same church in Revelation chapter 2. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Timely word for that church. It's a timely word for us today. I'm grateful to be a part of a healthy church here at Red Bank in the Point Church. We are a healthy church right now. But we must stand guard. We must be alert. We must be careful and heed the warning of the Apostle Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have not arrived We have not made it. We are a work in progress. That's how we know God's up to something. Finally, number eight, last one. How do we know God is up to something? Look at me, church. Look at me. You matter to God. Do you know that? Do you know God cares about you and he loves you and that you matter to God? Do you know that? Paul said it this way. I love how Paul said it. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God. I give you to God. I submit you to God. I set you before God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. God is telling us here that we matter to him. You matter to God. See, in John 17, we see Jesus doing something very similar. That When he's about to depart from his disciples... He prays for them in John 17. We call it the priestly prayer. And he prays for those disciples and for those whom they will share the gospel with. He prays for you and he prays for me. Jesus does in John 17. And it's it's as if he's commending them back to the Father. Father, those you gave me, I'm not lost one of them, Father. Isn't that good news? Listen to me. Every single solitary person that comes to God the Father through God the Son will be saved and will never be lost. Jesus said, I've not lost one of them, Father. Not one. And it's as if Christ is just giving them back to the Father as he's about to depart. And he says, Lord, he says, Father, I don't pray you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil, when in the same way that Jesus is commending them to God, Paul here commends the elders at Ephesus to God. He commends them to God. He entrusts them to God. You and I can trust the one to whom we've been entrusted. 
You can trust Him. You matter to Him. You, you matter to God. Jesus said, listen, y'all are going to do even greater things than these. See, here's, here's what we need to understand. Paul is not giving them to God for them to be babysat. He's giving them to God for them to be built up, to do more than Paul could ever imagine, to do even greater things than, than they saw Jesus do as he physically walked on this planet. Greater things than these that more people will be reached with the gospel and the church will continue to grow and God will build it up and there's an inheritance for us among all those who are sanctified, including you and me. You matter to God and I matter to God. We matter to God. We matter to the wonderful counselor, which means he has supernatural guidance and supernatural wisdom available to us for us to make wise decisions. We matter to the mighty God who is mighty to save, mighty to raise the dead, and to calm the storm, and he's even mighty enough to carry the burden you're under right now today. He can take that burden from you today. He is that mighty. We matter to the God who is known as the Prince of Peace, who gives inner peace no matter what troubles we face. We matter to the God who is our eternal Father, who secures our eternity in the person of Christ. You matter to God. This is how we know God is up to something, because we still matter to Him. The question has never been, do you matter to God? You do matter to God. The question has always been, does God matter to you? That's the question. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that this God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask. Wow. Shouldn't we anticipate? If Listen, if, if God is able to do far more money than we can ever think or imagine, don't you think we ought to be anticipating what he's going to do? <laughs> yeah, we, we should. But yet we're so gripped with worry and anxiousness and the trouble that we think is coming. Do you realize that 91.4% of the stuff you're worrying about will never happen? 91.4% of all that you're worrying about right now will never happen. And yet we're not anticipating what God will make happen because we're far too busy worrying about all that will never happen. Hey, God says he can do far more abundantly than we can ever think or ask. Worry sucks the joy out of the here and now. Don't let it do that. My heavens, you anticipate what God will do and what he can make happen today. You need to anticipate that. So as a believer, what does that mean? Well, you need to think about a second coming. I mean, Christ is coming again, right? So that should drive us to go share the gospel with somebody. My heaven, these 7,300 people groups that you see represented by these flags, 7,300 people groups have never heard of the first coming of Christ. And we're arguing about the prophecy of the second coming of Christ. We should be telling people about his coming the first time and that he's coming again. Believer, please make a goal. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you set a goal to have more gospel conversations. And maybe there's someone in the room today saying, you know what? I've never put my faith in Christ. I've never understood that this gospel of the grace of God is free. I thought I had to earn it. And today the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart and said, hey, it's free. It's free for all who believe. And maybe today you say, you know what, for the first time, I'm going to believe in my heart that Jesus is God's son 
and that he has been raised from the dead. And I want to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I, I want to be made new today. I want, to be, I want to be saved today. If that's your heartbeat, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to have a conversation. You come to one of our pastors and let us know. We'd love to enter into that conversation with you. We'd love to pray with you. Anything you'd like to pray about, you come let us know. Uh, we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing. You're going to respond to the Lord. Uh, maybe baptism is something that you've yet to follow through with, and God has pierced your heart to do that today. Maybe joining our church family is something that you desire to do and you have some questions about. We'd love to talk with you about that. Come and uh, come forward today. Or maybe you're ready to take that step and say, yes, I want to be a part of this church. No better time to do it than right now. Remember, twice in Acts 20, Paul says, he says, be careful, be alert. He does not say, be afraid. He says, be alert. He doesn't say, be fearful. Be careful. Okay? So don't be afraid. Don't let fear grip you. Jesus has overcome every fear that you could ever face. Trust in him today. Let's stand together. Father, we love you. We're anticipating what you're going to do. In our